May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I recently was listening to a, um, an electronic version, a podcast of a radio program that I listen to pretty regularly called um, This American Life. And as I was listening to it, the, the title of the program for this particular day was In Defense of Ignorance, which I thought, hmm, I'm not so sure about this. I'm a little suspicious, you know. I don't generally find ignorance to be a defensible position on most anything. Uh, but, you know, I thought, eh, it kind of piqued my interest. Um, and so I wanted to listen to it. I know that the people who put together This American Life are really quite clever. And so, you know, I don't like ignorance, but I'm all for irony. So, you know, let's turn on this and listen to it. And there are several stories in this program. And the first one was about um, an octogenarian grandmother in China. She's a Chinese woman. Um, and she was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. The thing is, though, in this particular area of China, if you were to get a diagnosis like this, they wouldn't give it directly to the patient. They would instead give it to a nearest kin and allow that person to decide whether or not the the patient should be given the news. In this case, the the news was given to the sister of the uh, Chinese grandmother, and um, the prognosis was chemotherapy immediately, but uh, likelihood of about three months to live. The sister decided there's no sense in ruining the quality of life that her sister had remaining, so we're not going to tell her this news at all, and she's not going to get chemotherapy, and we're just going to go on at life as normal. She um, gets the news to her sister. Uh, report came back. Doctor said everything's fine. You're nothing to worry about. The family, of course, was notified because everybody needed to know, and there was some back and forth about whether or not Grandma should be told, but. The sister was firm, and she was uh, the next-ranking matriarch, so no, Grandma won't be told. So what they did was they staged a fake wedding as a reason for everybody to come, people who were in the States, some of were in Japan, so that everybody could gather for this wedding, and this would give them a chance, a sort of ruse, to see Grandma one last time. And Grandma loved the party. She had a great time. She didn't like the bride, <laughs> but uh, she liked the party. And, um, and, and so there's this great time together, and uh, everybody got to see her, and people were fighting back tears because they didn't want to show sadness because they thought maybe she would know something was up. They went back home, and Grandma didn't die in three months. In fact, in six months, she was fine. And one of the grandchildren kept calling and checking on her. She's like, oh, no, I feel fine. I'm, I'm great. And, and a year came around from her original exam, and she said that she felt so good, she just figured she'd skip her annual exam that year and just not even go to it. And she didn't. And she lived another year. And then she decides, well, now it's time to go back. I missed my last exam. And she goes back to her exam, and um, the, the doctor examines her. Two other physicians were consulted. Same diagnosis, stage four lung cancer, three months to live. They gave the news to her sister. Her sister decided grandma still doesn't need to know. And from what I remember hearing from the program, it's now been five years since grandma received the diagnosis of three months to live. And still doesn't know, and is still alive. Sometimes ignorance is bliss, isn't it? Sometimes just not knowing, maybe you know, maybe that is enough. And, and what it is that has kept this woman alive is a mystery to everyone. But this is the exception that proves the rule, isn't it? Right? Usually, ignorance hurts us. I mean, contrary to what the Chinese grandmother story tells us, more often than not, what you don't know can, in fact, hurt you. Um, 
you know, if you put cyanide in your coffee thinking it's creamer, guess what? You are going to die. You know, this is not going to, it's not going to bode well for you at all. Um, you put your hand in a fireplace and it's going to burn, you know, even if you don't think so. And I was thinking today is we have a baptism in a little bit. One of the heaviest lifting of parenthood is training children about things that don't seem like they'll harm you that will, you know, don't run into the street, don't play with fire. Don't pet scorpions. These all might seem like good ideas, but they're not, you know. And so we, we try to train children not to do things that will hurt them because while ignorance might be bliss from time to time, more often than not, what you don't know can, in fact, hurt you. The story of Jesus walking down the road to Emmaus in Luke's gospel with these two followers One's name is Cleopas. The other is not named. I think it's his wife, Mary, who's named in John's gospel. So I envision this as Cleopas and Mary walking down the road to Emmaus. It's about a seven-mile walk, uh, Luke says, from from Jerusalem to Emmaus, uh, about a three-hour journey. And um, it's on the very first Easter Sunday in the afternoon. They don't know that Jesus has risen from the dead. You remember, some of our women astounded us by telling us this, but they didn't believe it. Why? Because they were women. So they're not trusting this account. Um, I mentioned this on Easter Sunday. This is, this is one of the real um, shockers of the gospel. That in all four gospels, there are women who are the very first witnesses of the gospel. If you were making this up, this is not the way you make it up. But it's also interesting, isn't it, also that the Lord chooses these unlikely witnesses not only to validate in an ironic way the truth of the resurrection, but also to elevate and, and bring this sense of egalitarianism that, that the, the word of women are equal to that of men. They are the very first proclaimers of the gospel. Anyway, so we don't believe it. Jesus is, is alive. We're just not sure. We're ignorant of that. One of the very first ignorances that you see in this story. The second thing Luke says is they look sad. He, he literally says their faces had fallen. They're troubled by Jesus' death. And so when Jesus meets them and asks them what they're talking about, you know, they're incredulous. You know, um, they, they're walking and Jesus drew near, but their eyes were held from seeing him. They didn't recognize who he is. So they're ignorant of who their guest is. Uh, they're, they're, they're ignorant of the resurrection and they're looking sad. And, and when Jesus says, why are you so sad? They're like, are you the only person in Israel or in Jerusalem who doesn't know these things? This is sort of akin to, have you been living under a rock? You know, <laughs> What are you doing? The day after, at least in this part of the world, the day after the Indians lost the seventh game of the World Series, you didn't have to ask why somebody's face was downcast, right? If you did, you know, like they probably would have said something mean to you. Why are you looking so upset? Don't you know? Are you the only one here who doesn't know what's happened? No, he says. What happened? Three levels of ignorance, at least, to begin with. Cleopas and his companion, probably his wife, don't know that Jesus is alive. Second of all, they don't know it's Jesus to whom they're speaking. They're ignorant of that. The third thing is Jesus feigns ignorance as to what they're so sad about. Luke is sort of playing with us here, isn't he? All these levels of ignorance of not knowing. And Jesus said to them, what things? And they said, concerning, the Je- concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, 
and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Another level of ignorance. They don't even know what's happened. They don't even know the story of the, resur- of the crucifixion and resurrection. And Jesus says, O oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, beginning with Moses is a way of saying starting at Genesis 1. <laughs> Moses is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? Beginning with Moses and then all the prophets. He begins to preach to them. They're ignorant of the scriptures, aren't they? They don't know the story, the big story of the Bible. They have no idea what this story is about. And Jesus begins along the road to preach to them. They arrive at the home, and what does he do? He's going to go on, no, come in, come in, come in. He sits at the table. What do you do when you're a guest in someone's house at the table? You wait for them to serve you, don't you? But the guest becomes the host. Did you see that? And he takes bread and he blesses it and he breaks it and he gives it to them. Now, you don't have to be a biblical scholar to hear echoes going on right here. We have a a long three-hour sermon. It's not going to be that long today. Followed by... Breaking of bread. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus. You know what Luke says? They knew it was Jesus. They knew him. Word, sacrament, brought together and ignorance is undone. The echoes of the Mass ought to be really clear to all of us. That when we come into God's presence in word and sacrament, it begins to undo the ignorance that's built up in our minds. The, the story of the, of the Bible begins to make sense into our story. We begin to know little by little more of what it means to be a follower of God, to be in tune with God in His work in the world. And when we come to the table, we see Christ present, not see Him with our eyes, but see Him with our mind's eye in our world. It begins to do something in us. When you know something and somebody else doesn't, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, whatever your area of expertise is in work, you know, if, if you're a lawyer and somebody's making a case about, you know, I can't believe I'm being charged with this, and you're thinking to yourself, well, of course you are. You broke the law. You know, you, you understand it more than they do. Or if you're a mechanic and somebody picks up a wrench, you can tell straight away whether they have any experience with that, right? You know if they know what they're doing. If you've ever been to the doctor and started to quote something that you read on WebMD, um, there's this glaze that goes across their eyes because they don't want to hear that. Like, yeah, no, I went to school for 12 years, but, you know, I don't want to hear this right now. Um, but seriously, I read this. <laughs> it's like, if you're a computer programmer, nobody's impressed by your, uh, you know, somebody else's prowess with Windows. It's not, it's not that big a deal. Because they know what you don't. And when we look at a world filled with violence and selfishness, where people are exploited and natural resources are exploited, where people die from drug abuse, children are neglected and abused, there's a lack of clean water when we have plenty of resources to get it, and medicine where, where it would be easy or relatively easy to get medicine to people who need it. And this, these things happen. We know what's going on, that evil is at work in the world. 
that we know this is not right. We know this isn't right. The human race is infected with evil from its very beginning. It's an indiscriminate disease. Every single one of us is born in this world with it. A heart that is divided, that wants in some way to do good, but also kind of struggles with a pull towards evil. We want to be generous and find it easy to be selfish. We want to tell the truth and yet find it easy to lie. We want to love, but find it also sort of pleasurable to hate. And there's got to be an answer to this. And Jesus says the answer is in the death and resurrection of himself. That this is the answer to the problem of evil in the world. That Christ came to set us free. So that we can be the kind of people we want to be now. Not later. Not in heaven. But now. That he can do a work in us. And it takes a while. Little by little. But you know, day by day. And we sometimes do three steps forward and two steps back. But that's still progress. It's still moving in the right direction. That the Eucharist is really for us our sanctification. That we cannot live without this, without the exposition of the Word, without gathering around the table of the sacrament. We have to have this. Uh, the, um, the program This American Life um, ended with a story. I don't know if it ended. One of the other stories in it was a story about this fellow whose name was MacArthur Wheeler. If you've never heard of MacArthur Wheeler, you're going to love this story. In 1995, uh, MacArthur Wheeler, who was um, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, decided that he was going to rob several banks, and he did. And after he had robbed the banks, uh, the police showed up at his home, and they arrested him. And they, he said to them, you have the wrong person. You know, it was a case of mistaken identity. I didn't rob the banks. Yes, they said, you did. No, he says, I didn't. They said, we have your... We have photographs of you from the surveillance video. He says, no, you don't. They said, yes, we do. And they showed them to him. And he looks at these incredulously for the longest time. And then he says, but I wore the juice. And the police, yeah, yeah, Dave, it was like that. The, the police officers looked at him like, you what? He said, I wore the juice. What in the world are you talking about? Apparently, MacArthur Wheeler was under the impression that if you smeared lemon juice all over your face, that it became impervious to photography and video equipment. Yeah, right? (laughs) In fact, he even took a Polaroid camera and tried to do a selfie, but apparently had some bad film or something, so it didn't show up. And he thought this proved his, 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 um, his theory. Ignorance in crime especially if nobody gets hurt, is laughable. And sometimes ignorance is bliss, just not knowing. But more often than not, what we don't know can, in fact, hurt us. And the Lord wants us to know those things that are most important. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.